we've been missing you. Do you want to find the witch friends you've been missing? Do you want to participate in these conversations live? And do you want to support the work of recovering a true history of feminist ideas about magic? Do you want to hang out? Do you want an invite to Zoom together with Amy and myself every new moon along with our hilarious, diverse, wise, queer, creative, anti-racist, science, and awe-loving coven? You must join the Missing Witches Patreon. It's pay what you can and we can't wait to meet you there. Patreon.com slash Missing Witches. You aren't being a proper woman, therefore you must be a witch. You must be a witch. Welcome. Welcome, Missing Witches Coven. Risa and I are so excited today to make good on a promise that we made during our astrology panel, which is to bring back those astrologers for one-on-one so we can really dig into their work. And today we're starting that with Thea Anderson. (laughs) You might remember her from the astrology panel that we did a little while ago. And I'm going to let you describe your work for those people who maybe didn't hear that episode or are just learning about you for the first time. Thank you so much. And I are really excited. Yeah, we're so excited to have you here. And we're just excited to hear like, where's your brain at today? Like, how are you? What are you Hmm. working on? What are you inspired by? Whatever date it is when this episode comes (laughs) out. Right now I'm thinking about spring and Mm. I can't wait to get together with the amazing women in my community. So I'm reporting from the Berkshires in Massachusetts and it just feels like I'm starting to see people and I'm connecting with people, um, you know, other mothers, other people who have the same interests as me. And it, it's really funny because to back up a little bit, I spent about 15 years in Brooklyn and moved out basically to the woods in 2020. And can I back up even further? (laughs) I, I actually had a feeling that we should move in Thanksgiving 2019. So we did a little stint in Connecticut. We were living in in Brooklyn and I was like, I, I kept having all these dreams. I kept having the sense that something really weird was shifting. Um, and I, I have a practice of, of journaling my dreams. Um, I'll wake up with the journal before I start thinking about the day and write down the dreams and like first person present tense. So I could see that something was, yeah, sort of like that, that there were weird images being sort of like shown to me. And I was just like, Practically speaking, I had just had my second child and I was like, I think practically we need to move. It feels time for us to get more space. That was the sort of argument I made to my partner. And we did. We moved to his family's house in Connecticut, which is also in the woods. And um, that was just that was on Thanksgiving of 2019. And then, as we know, a couple months later, the pandemic hit and I was so grateful for being able to make this crazy case for having a partner who listened to me to have us move and to, to be in a place where we could have some sense of grounding, have some sense of something that anchored us when everything just felt so uncertain at that like really weird time loop that still doesn't even feel like it happened. Okay, so that's where I'm at and how I got here. Um, my name is Thea and I am an astrologer with a magical practice as well. And I am the director of production at Chani. And that has been such a privilege. And to just do like my sort of mercurial problem solving, I've, I've had that sort of in every role that I've ever done. And this really lets me bring together the astrology and this sort of logistical mind mapping that I love to do. And the team is amazing and I learned so much. I am also a writer, so I've been working on my first novel, which is a slow marathon, slow drip, but keeps me tied to how I was saying the dream world, 
I, um, I also like to have sort of research projects going on at the same time. And I, I guess the kind of astrology that really interests me, start with my teachers. First of all, I, I first started to learn with Samuel Reynolds. He's an amazing teacher of traditional astrology. And I've studied with Austin Kopic and Nina Griffin and devoured every book. And just, I mean, I could live several lifetimes. I always had an instinct for astrology, right? Like it was always with me. And I think I said in the panel, part of that is because I grew up, I grew up in Houston and our relationship to space and NASA. And I just thought it was so amazing and that the stars were there every day, whether we thought about them or not. I actually wanted to, you know, be an astronaut. I wanted to be there. And I still, I still sort of, I think I, I think I found my way to be an astronaut is what the, the kind of astrological project practice I have now. I love astrology for the purpose of helping others see their gifts and talents, but I also, I love it for looking at the past. And so that's sort of where I'm at today. It's just going back and seeing parts of history, parts of my history, parts of our history in a way that it's like, it's as if it were written down. And so that sort of historical storytelling is just a really big part of my work and something that I return to, even though I'm looking at historical events, I'm, I'm sitting in almost the same place as my fiction, right? Like sort of like what happens, what's happening. And it does become something that's not in the past, but something that's here right now, the sort of present tense that I was talking about. I have so many follow-up questions. <laughs> I have so I have a list of questions from your little introduction there. Okay, so <laughs> me too. <laughs> I'm gonna maybe they'll overlap. We'll see, Risa. Um, you say you wake up and the first thing you do is you journal your dreams in the first person present, which is so interesting to me because I find that like the first thing that happens is I forget or we, I can probably say we forget. And then you try to articulate it to someone and you're like, I was in this thing and I didn't, and all of these. And I, I feel like your method probably help allows you to remember your dreams better because you're centering yourself in that first person present. Is, is that why you do it that way? Yes. And I feel like I, I must've picked that up somewhere along the line that that from different people who do dream work, and I, I, I do find that that works, whereas it's not me standing in the top side world trying to retrieve something that's happened in that weird, you know, liminal space. I, I still I almost pretend that I'm still there and it, it, it works and sometimes it doesn't. And sometimes, yeah, I'll try. I'll, I'll even sense my brain reaching for the day and I'll go, no, and I'll just start writing. And sometimes I just go, I, I don't remember, but it helps me. I actually, you know, I don't usually reread them either. And that's, you know, that's part of the practice of the artist way morning pages that I've been doing for about four years now. And so I just am doing it for the process of bringing that magic to my present tense, to my, like, to my now. When I was doing this, a similar practice, people told me, you know, it'll take, it'll take like days or even weeks before they, they stay with you longer. And that was hard to like hold out for. Was that similar for you? No, I think I, um, I think in the beginning, it was just like, oh my God, it's a, I, it's a place for it to land, but I do mm. go through dry spells. Mm. And sometimes I get a little, I do get frustrated and I'm like, no, I know I dreamt. I want to write it down. And I feel that's my rational brain wanting proof that that existed. Yeah. Um, instead of just saying right now, there's a reason that, that that stayed there and to just trust that sometimes it'll be available for you to have here and sometimes it won't. So sometimes I just write, I, I know I dreamt and I don't remember, but the, the feeling was terrible or the feeling was thrilling. <laughs> or the feeling was like I was in water, but I had no idea what else was happening. 
And I love the notion that you, you don't return to them. You're not trying to craft poetry or fiction or like quote unquote good writing. It really is just like a morning ritual that you do. Yes, that's, yeah, that's right. That's wonderful. Because you said, you said something I, I love that you, your brain wants to start reaching for the day and you're like, no. And I love that as a way to like open, open your, your day is to like say, no, I'm not going to start grasping for all the shit I got to do today. I'm going to like stay in this liminal space for as long as I can and bring it into the material world. That's, that's a beautiful way to start your day. Listeners, I'm going to try this. Are you? And then, okay, this is kind of maybe like silly because obviously we recognize that astronomy and astrology are obviously very related, but not the same thing. So did you find when you moved from the big bright lights of Brooklyn to the woods of Connecticut that your relationship with the stars changed just based on their visibility? Mm, yes. It, well, so here's what I'll say. Even when I was in Bed-Stuy and walking along the streets of the brownstones, me and my oldest, Willow, I'd be like, there's a full moon, let's go look for it. And we would just go, us two, and just like walk around until we could get a clear view and sometimes try to see the stars. So, so the stars didn't reveal themselves, but at least the moon was there, right? And the moon, to me, we would, you know, we would make little moon water jars and... <laughs> We would do, we would still try, you know, we, there's still a relationship, even if I couldn't see the stars, just to look at the dawn and look at the sunset, like our closest star, you know what I mean? It still reveals itself that, that the, the time is always moving, that there's always movement, but yes, being here and being able to find constellations, I did take a course in, in fixed stars. And one of the big things is to, to, to put our relationship to the stars, like to put the stars back in the sky. And that's, that's something I said, that's something that Bernadette Brady says. Um, yeah, I just want to repeat that. Put the stars back in the sky, please, please expand. <laughs> well, she was teaching, Bernadette Brady was teaching to a room full of astrologers. And basically, if you're looking at a horoscope, it's, it's very limited, right? It's, it's mapping everything on the ecliptic, on a circle. If we were to look at, you know, the sun all the way to Saturn, like the big seven, and then we can go a little bit outer and get the three outers, and then maybe we can capture some asteroids. The fixed stars would be like, and I'm stretching my arms, like beyond my bookshelf. But they still have a relationship. And I say fixed stars because I, I mean the, the constellations, right? I'm talking about speak uh, Sirius, these stars that almost seem so ancient and so, so distant, like titans compared to our relationship to the other planets but they're still so bright in the sky when you go out and you look for them so like right now where i live it's winter i can see well the time change messed me up but it's it's about 9 or 10 p.m and i can see um orion and i can see a little bit to the left Sirius, and I can see the stars that make up Orion. So I could see that's the, the great hunter. I could see the star Betelgeuse. I could see the star Bellatrix and they're right here. And it's, it's so amazing. There was actually a part a couple months ago where I could see after my kids went to bed, I would see sit on my couch and I would see Sirius. I do have a relationship to Sirius in my birth chart rise. And it would almost be like speaking to me because <laughs> I would be in a quiet space. The day had left and I, I would just be either reading or, or scribbling some, something. And, and then I would see Sirius rise and I'd be like, God damn it. Like <laughs> <laughs> you're um, there, you're there. Yeah. So that, that has been such, such a gift. I had a similar experience traveling very pregnant one summer in the prairies and every night Jupiter was right like we would it's not a you know it was wasn't a relationship with a star but that was like an early personal relationship with a planet it was like everything's going to be okay you know like we're, we're out we're flung far out past my comfort zone but Jupiter is here and everything's going to be okay mm. can you can you dig into what you're talking about in your research using astrology using this language 
as a way to make the past present. When you're digging for stories that, that aren't in the archives, I find this so exciting, this way you're using astrology. I'm thinking of your Harriet Tubman piece, but I know you also mentioned you're doing other research and writing around that. I was thinking about it in relation to what Amy has said about like not knowing her rising sign, not knowing the time she was born. And so she relates more to astrology through historic events or mm -hmm. the way that astrology can kind of make rhyming patterns in our lives. Can you, can you tell us more about how you do it, how it's working for you, what you think about it? I feel like it's just one of the greatest privileges, something I'm so incredibly grateful for, because maybe I'll just tell like an example. So like with, with Harriet Tubman, you know, we learn about Harriet Tubman in school. I know that she was looking to the North Star. Oh, that's interesting. Um, I know that she helped free all these enslaved people. How'd that happen? That seems unlikely. I know that she did that by herself. I know that she worked alone. I know that she went into enemy territory. So I think First of all, it started with kind of a, like annoyance or frustration, you know, like you get a part of the story and you're like, but I know there's more there. And, and I want to see for myself what, what makes sense. So of course, you know, I'm reading all the history. I'm, I'm reading what has been written. What started to reveal itself to me as I sat with the time period was that, so first what popped up to me was that my my whole name of the piece is that Harriet Tubman had this sort of like that she was a child of Mercury, that through uh, her ability as a prophetess, as a diviner, as a person who relayed secret messages, who could enrapture people, right? All the abolitionists that she gave to donate to her cause with her tales, this sort of storytelling, this sort of knowing when she needed money, she'd go to the right person and they'd have the right amount. It was so clear to me that that was Mercury sort of being embodied in, in those ways. And so it was frustration with what I had learned and the information that was available. And also not knowing, not having reliable data, birth data. And so if I'm, if I'm entering stories that have to do with Black folks, enslaved people throughout history, I'm not going to have reliable birth data. And so that was me knocking my head against, against my desk for a couple months. And even just looking at the date of death, to me, I wasn't getting it. I, I did it. I couldn't, I couldn't see it through the lens that I wanted to, the story that I wanted to tell. But then when I came across the event charts, and luckily, because of, again, how history is written, People love to write about battles and war. And they love writing about the precise time that these battles took place because someone has deemed that to be super significant. And so because I had that, it was like the, all the puzzles started to come together. And I could see in the chart all the important role that Mercury, Mercury was playing, right? Moving away from the square to Saturn to a aspect to Uranus. So Saturn is, you know, the limitations, obstacles, confinement, and then moving to Uranus, which is the archetype of Prometheus, the fire giver, the liberator, the reformer, the, this is about to pop off planet. And, and like, then a couple of weeks later, sorry, I'm so long-winded, but then a couple of weeks later, I'm like, what is this Jupiter and Libra retrograde? Like, what is this? And then all the things that I had read about Abraham Lincoln, I was like, oh my God, that's Abraham Lincoln. And it was just so clear the sort of, well, is he going to, or is he not going to? And is he playing both sides or is he going to do what's, uh, you know, is he going to be bestow justice? And this Jupiter is retrograde and Libra, the sign of the scales, the sign of justice. And Jupiter is the greater benefic who wants to bestow blessings right? And to resolve conflict, however, was delayed and really without much dignity. And so is basically holding up until finally, finally, he issues the Emancipation Proclamation. So now the Combahee Raid was after that was issued. So these enslaved people were being held technically illegally, but it's, it definitely showed the sort of delay, the sort of justice withheld until it was politically 
advantageous. So seeing all those details pop off and seeing sort of like these characters come to life through the astrology has been so beautiful. It's, it's like the greatest gift, but it really does take, it's not a fast process. I don't look at the chart immediately and see that story. It takes months, if not like a year or two of being with it. So that's where I am right now with the practice of convict leasing that happened in Sugarland, Texas. But what's interesting about both of those is that they, the discovery of this mass grave of enslaved people through the prison labor system That discovery that happened in 2018 happened the day after an eclipse. And then the Comahee raid happened hours after an eclipse. And so I I thought it was really interesting that in both of these, that there's some sort of cataclysmic, you know, this eclipse is like, it's high voltage, right? It's like what was before, now we're going to flip the script and we don't know what's going to happen. And of course, people in these historical events aren't working with the astrology. It's just revealing and and showing itself so beautifully. Can you tell us more about that project that you're working on now? This is something that when you mentioned it in the circle, I was like, I need to know so much more. What is the project going to be for you? You know, how, how does this play out for you? What is it that you offer to yourself or to your readers after you spend so much time with a story like this that's so violent and needs so much telling. Yes. Thank you for asking. I, when I was in the first grade, I I went on a field trip to the Imperial Sugar Factory, which was, this is like 1990, 1991. It's still at this point in operation. Like they're actually refining sugar within the building. And I am one of three black children in my class. And we're being led through the refinery. First of all, the smell, it smells like a dried fruit, but like, it's like that fermented sweet. It's so powerful. So I can even still smell it. And because of where I grew up and so Sugarland is named after it's a factory town originally back in the fifties. So it gets its name for sh- from the sugar that they refined and Imperial is the name of the refinery. And so I remember just looking at everything. And then on the wall, they had like sort of a makeshift museum. And all of the the picture on the wall was entirely black convicts in the black and white striped outfits. And I remember just being, feeling a mixture of just unsettled and ashamed because there was people that looked like me who were, I knew were imprisoned and had contributed to the place that I was at now, but was not being talked about, was not being pointed to. We had a little tour guide and at the end, they all gave us like sugar packets and they were like, isn't this great? And then, <laughs> and so that always stayed with me. It's, it's, it's a weird thing to grow up in the, in the 90s and the early 2000s, right? Because you're, as a Black person, you're, you're told that, you know, all that stuff happened in the past. All the photos are Black and white. And even that anything is possible. And yes, that's all true. Anything is possible. But the past, again, this is what I'm saying. The past is right here. The past is, is pressing on us, especially if it needs to be told. And about 2017... This is when I left the law firms that I was working at as a paralegal. I'm a little impulsive. I was just like, I'm going to leave and like start my own thing. And I also want time to write. And this isn't making me happy. Everyone's like, what are you doing? And I had a lot of time to sit in my office. And I just, I went back to the story from when I was in first grade. And I was like, what is this about? And at the same time, an individual named Reginald Moore, who was a prison guard, he's in the 90s working as a prison guard. And he's like, something doesn't sit right with me here. This feels like all of the Black prison mates are being are laboring um, under the supervision of mostly white supervisors who are on these horses. They have guns. This, you know. So he starts to explore the past and he starts to wonder what happened to the convicts who labored there shortly after enslavement. So what happened in the town of Sugarland is that after slaves were free, most Black people, rather than share crop, went into the city of Houston. This happened in a lot of city centers, right? Begin to learn trade like 
domestic labor, blacksmithing. In Houston, we had longshoremen. That was like a big one. So people are learning other trades to be able to, you know, it's one thing to be told that you're free. It's another thing to figure out what you're going to do. Okay. So you've got like a mass exodus of families from the like rural areas to urban areas. But lo and behold, all the former enslavers are like, well, what do we do about labor? We still have these same economic demands and we still don't want to pay anyone. And so they invented something called, this is all purposeful, the pig laws, which were making minor crimes into felonies so that through the prison system, they could get inmates who would become laborers. So the crimes that they would be accused of and imprisoned for were things like slaughtering a pig which was a common black practice because black folk ate, they ate the hog, they ate all parts of the pig. So that became a felony. Um, Idleness, right? What are you doing out here? You don't have your papers or maybe you do, we'll see about that. So then you get this sort of funnel of people who are trying to now make a life being sent back to work on the Brazos. And that was known as the hell hole of the Brazos. And sugar cane is the most brutal crop because you get yellow fever. The climate that sugarcane needs to grow in is something like, you know, it's tropical. So in Houston, you get, you know, the unbearable heat plus the humidity in the summertime. And you need, you need people who are going to work there. So a lot of folks just died where they stood. Right. And so this is about all the people who died in that practice. This was all intentional, right? This was all masterminded. Uh, with the Texas state treasurer, with the prison system, with Colonel Cunningham, who owned the farms at Sugarland and needed labor and was really like, let's, let's get this process going. And, and so when I looked back at it, so from the last like five years, it's changed so much because it's been Reginald Moore, who has now since passed, spearheaded a grassroots movement, basically harass the town of Sugarland, Sugarland City Council to acknowledge it, to issue an apology. For many years, they said they did not owe their legacy to Black people at all. So that was before the discovery. So then on February 1st, 2018, you get the discovery that there are bones in the ground, right? There's, they're breaking ground, trying to build a school, and they hit human remains. Then they, they pause the construction of the school, and they bring in archaeologists, who are able to identify initially 95 men, women, children, you know, folks of all ages. And then they get to what eventually become hundreds of remains. And so what happens is, this is also really the astrology of this time is that Saturn is in Capricorn with Pluto. And so you can feel it, right? This is like 2018. We're having sort of a reckoning of our past in the United States and you're getting like, sort of like that the bones are speaking to us. So I'm sitting in my little office, right? I've left my job. I felt like I was in conversation with the ghosts of the past. Not always, I I don't even think I was fully aware of it at the time. I just felt like I needed to tell the story. And to be able now, my astrology is much better. To be able now to tell the astrology through it, it's almost like it was waiting for me to have the skill to be able to retell it in a way that feels personal, but also like it gives something to people, a way to look at why this discovery is important, what it means, and to tell the stories because that's that's what I want to do. I think uh, Minty, I prefer to call Harriet Minty because yes. um, as I've said before, that was the name that was on her wanted posters. And I think it's like so important for us to ground these conversations about Harriet specifically in the fact that she was an outlaw. You know, we talk about her being a hero in our contemporary society, but she was, you know, pursued for arrest. She was an outlaw. And so it's so interesting to me how reality is based on how we're perceived. Harriet is an outlaw. Harriet is a hero, you know, 
a hundred years have passed. Her story didn't change. You know that you're looking to the fixed stars for, for her story. Her didn't, her story didn't change, but our perception of her and what she was doing is, is the only thing that changed. And I, I think Mm. that it's, and for people like you who are going back into the archives to find histories of people who, who didn't qualify to have their, their, their actual history recorded obviously listeners I'm using scare quotes like this word qualify you know based under like colonial patriarchy and hegemony their stories didn't count their numbers weren't counted and you have found this way to reclaim those histories to recover those histories even if the names and the the numbers weren't necessarily written down and I think it made me laugh a little bit that you went from like being a paralegal it's like a very straight you're quote-unquote successful and you're you know your parents are proud of you and you can go out into the you know the real world with like legitimacy and you instead decided to like seek the freedom of a different kind of knowing Mm. I, I just I can see that relationship between like you being an outlaw you know what I mean like yeah i this outlaw of like taking back and reclaiming and I I love that I, I really appreciate that that you're doing this work and I do want to say for those listeners who want a little more background I always recommend Ava DuVernay's documentary 13th please take a look at that documentary go and watch it three times if you think that the Emancipation Proclamation was the end of the story. It certainly, certainly has not been the end of the story. Um, yeah. you said the, the bones are speaking to us. How do we? Yes, relate? I want to go back to this. Yeah. Yes. How do we relate? Is, I mean, both of us stars. are writing down yeah. <laughs> bones and stars. How do we exactly. relate bones and stars? Yes. Well, you know, sometimes with astrology, you can get so heady with it, right? It even starts to feel that if you're thinking about planets and I have a daily planet ritual that that is so far and you can feel a little like pulled I don't know energetically I'm like reaching with my head and so if I think about the earth a lot of times I'll, I'll just have a practice where I just try to ground and just remember that like I'm embodied in the earth here and that I'm made of blood and bone and material that is of the earth and it puts me it sort of anchors me and so to be able to when I talk about the bones that are speaking to us it's that same relationship that like there's a connection to the physical matter, to the, to the lives that were lived and that the spirits have a story to tell. So when I, when I write, you know, it doesn't always happen. Sometimes I'm reaching with my head, right? I'm like, Oh, let me figure it out. And then sometimes something will happen where I'll just get, it's more like I'm sitting back in my chair. It's like, and it's a grounding force. And that's sort of the relationship that I have to being able to be like, why am I interested in this? Why am I interested in telling the Sugarland story? I'm not an archaeologist. I'm not a historian. I mean, I've interviewed people. They're like, why are you, what are you writing about this? What do you have to say about this? Especially men. And I think for me, it's like, no, I, I'm in relationship to, to the to the bones of the past. I mean, you could as recently as 2017, walk into like, say the Marriott, the Sugarland Hotel, and in the middle of the courtyard, they have a copper kettle. So it's like the vat that the sugar was refined in. And it's like, look at our history, but it's not the whole story. Do you know what I mean? And so I think being able to be in that time period before the bones were discovered to feel that like, they were speaking. It's almost like they wanted to be discovered and to be seen. And it's ironic is that it's the construction of a school that leads to the discovery. And education is so tied to this. You know, in the state of Texas, if you enter the public school system, you have to learn Texas history one and two. And the way that I was taught is that enslaved black people were taken care of as if they were family and they were fed and they were taken care of. I mean, I always knew that wasn't true. But the point is, is that there is an agenda. And so to fight the agenda, I think we all have to find our own skills. Like what is our own work? And so if my work is as astrologer to be able to look at charts and, and see what it's revealing about the past, maybe other people's work is the, is the digging in the ground. 
And is the building of a museum, is fighting Texas legislation, is becoming a school teacher and teaching something different. So I think that that's like my relationship to being with the bones is to being like, how can I in myself do justice, do honor to this, to this legacy? I think it's so interesting that bones don't go away. You said like they wanted to be found and it started making me think about in Canada, you know, we are talking about truth and reconciliation. And then of course this like mass grave of children from the sixties scoop, they call it, which like sounds like an ice cream parlor, but really was like a horrible, uh, you know, cultural genocide. Um, And they found these bodies and then suddenly it's like, oh, okay, well, now we have physical. We all knew, like you were saying, you knew that part of the story wasn't true about the big happy family. Like we knew that these stories weren't true, but then once someone found bones, then it was allowed to be true. Mm. And I, I don't know where I'm going with this, but I just like, there's something about that our flesh goes away and our organs and our, you know, our blood, it all goes away but the bones are just there waiting to be found and I think that that's like literal and metaphorical in terms of storytelling yeah yeah, yeah. I don't really have a question so maybe if you just like want to respond to that. I'll just say really quickly Saturn is the planet that corresponds to bones and astrology and so I do think it's interesting that Saturn Saturn was in Capricorn at this point with Pluto which is the planet that symbolizes the underworld and so at this point you get that combination of like what's been buried can't be denied or like it wanted to be excavated or be shown or that there would be some sort of reckoning you know everything is painful but like when we start to face it instead of denying it or rewriting it we can say we can be with both right like I like I'm proud to be Black and have grown up where I'm from. Like, I love Texas food. I love, I love my culture. I love where I'm from. And I can still be with the, the messed up stuff that happened. And I can still feel icky about it and torn. And like, we can all be with it instead of shoving it back down. Reburying it. We have our coven here today. <laughs> Karen's here. Karen's the author of a blog called Pastor to High Priestess. I was thinking of you when you uh, were talking about renegades, <laughs> people who have had to overthrow overthrow part of their life to clean something new. I just wanted to say hi and acknowledge that you're here and invite you to ask a question or share anything. It's nice to see you. Well, so I am actually going through the process of legally changing my name uh, to Karen Wynn Reed. And now that I'm, and it was one of my advisors at school that advised me to do it. So I'm not writing under two names, even before Karen became like the ugly white lady that wanted you to call the manager. I've been fighting with my mother over my name for 51 years now. So, um, but, but thank you for, for inviting me to ask a question. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Thank you. I am overwhelmed um, with the beauty uh, with which you share this knowledge. And I, I feel like you didn't have a choice. I don't know if, if that's this relationship with the bones, the Clarissa Pinkola Estes talks about La, the La Loba woman who sings over the bones. Mm-hmm. Uh, it also makes me think about um, the book of Ezekiel. Um, where, you know, Ezekiel says, can these bones, can these bones yet live? And uh, how the bones are then stitched back together. There's so much. And other than Harriet Tubman, um, which I want to learn, I want to hear more about that. But the Sugarland story, have you found uh, that any individual people that like, or, or individuals within that story who have called out to you, who have said, hey, hey, tell my story, because I want my story uh, to be told. So yeah, the, the, the Harriet Tubman Mama Moses, I mean, even today, I, I feel like, you know, I have a relationship with Mama Moses. I, I, um, I feel like she guides me. And even in periods of my life where I'm terrified, I feel like she's, she's with me. So that relationship feels 
like it'll always be with me. But there were a lot of weird synchronicities leading up to me deciding to do it. So I did feel like, like I would go to look at a book and I'd see a book, like a bookstore and not be looking for it. And I'd be like, oh, what's that book about? It's Harry Temple. Let me read it. So there were a lot of things that I did feel like the story had to be told. You know, I have um, in my birth chart, just to lead it back to astrology, I have a Mercury square Saturn, which can be a very difficult relationship aspect if you're trying to be a writer, because Saturn is the planet of difficulty, right? It'll, it'll give you obstacles before it gives you structure. And so the Mercury, the planet of writing is, is forming a difficult aspect to that planet in my chart. And yet (laughs) I feel like the way that I get around that is by choosing to do work that is difficult, that needs to be massaged, that needs a lot of time, that needs a lot of patience. And when I enter through it that way, I, I do feel like a story can be told that is better than my little brain could have reached for. But, um, I have felt that there are different figures in, in history that, you know, I also have a relationship with Zora, Neil Hurston, W.E.B. Du Bois. His son is buried in a cemetery that is like five minutes away from me. I'm in the town that he was born in, like his childhood home. And so sometimes I'll go to the graveyard and stand, stand there and just say thank you, even though W.E.B. Du Bois is buried in Ghana. Just knowing that like his, his son was buried here means a lot. And so I think that the relationship, I don't even want to say it, but (laughs) the other relationship that I have felt is is to Frederick Douglass, but I feel like I need a lot more reading on that one. And then, yeah, so I I won't even talk about that, but I, I do feel like when I'm inspired to write is just in general, how, you know, I spent a lot of time, there's so many people who won't have their story told. If you go to the Library of Congress, you can read the, the, what they call the slave narratives that were done in the 1930s, where these reporters went around to people who had lived during slavery, but by this time were in their 80s, 90s and older and recounted slavery. And that to me, when I, sometimes when I get stuck, I'll just go back and read them. It, it does feel like that now the work isn't just like one person, maybe it, it might be like just being like hearing the voices tell their story. Thank you for that. And also, if I may, just one quick follow-up question about you were talking about the birth chart and your relationship with Saturn um, and Mercury. And because so uh, I am trying to write and I find that I struggle and um, there are some uh, witches in the Southeast, which is where I'm at, that I've discovered their stories and they've all become kind of like Halloween entertainment, even though these women were horribly tortured. Um, One specifically in South Carolina who was tortured and uh, found someone who would give her a warrant to uh, arrest her torturer in an illegal witch trial. And she won in civil court. And so, but like she never got paid. So there's all of this, like the torture is horrible. and, and And so it's like finding this woman and just wanting to tell her story because of course, none of that crap happened. I mean, but it was really just for very practical, um, not practical, but like means of theft that she was tortured. And like her story is called out to me and I'm having a hard time writing it. So I'm wondering like, A, I need to have my birth chart done (laughs) and see if I have this, uh, you know, this connection. But whenever you said that something in me just went like, oh, you know, is there a book or um, someone you can reference, maybe yourself, you know, who can help someone who is trying to write stories, but like gets distracted by bright, shiny objects whenever it gets too hard. Distractions are the path too. I mean, like, I just feel like you can follow, sometimes tangents are good, at least for me. Sometimes I'll be like, this has nothing to do with what I'm working on, but my brain needs it or I'll circle back. You know, the, the path is not straight. It is like, for me, a spiral. And I'll find that six months later, that weird spiral was totally where it needed to be. And, you know, I mean, of course, like have your chart read by an astrologer. (laughs) I like being conversation about what's the natal promises, you know, and I, and I just have to say, you know, Mercury rules my chart and I have like the most messed up Mercury, 
is making a lot of difficult aspects, but I like it. You know what I mean? Like I, I like my sort of roundaboutness and, and I don't feel pressure to do anything now. I don't feel pressure to show my proof it when the time is ready, then it will be out. Like, and so I just, this is what I was saying. Like, I, I want to, I want to know like the story you just told, like, I want to read it. So just know that, you know what I mean? So whenever it is written, I want to, I want to know more about it. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for sharing your knowledge and your process and, and, and every that, all of that. Keep doing the work. Like, cause I want to read your stories that you're writing. So yes. Oh, so yeah. I feel so moved by this idea of the, the relationship between bones and stars. And so, so much of the work that you're doing, I'm wearing my Cedar Eve sweatshirt today who's an artist that we've spoken to on the podcast and I was definitely thinking along the same lines of Amy that there are so many graves out there there are so many unmarked graves um, in the United States as well of indigenous children so many so many stories to be told what are your thoughts on you know for all of us I mean this is the work of missing witches too we're out there trying to tell these stories find these stories is there something in the stars right now that we can draw on for strength? What do you think about our storytelling these days or in your magic or in your intuition? It's an interesting time. I mean, we know that. If I were to focus on one aspect of what's going on in, this, in the stars is, is that we have the South Node in Scorpio and we have the North Node in Taurus. And we'll have that until sometime in 2023. And so it's basically that the nodes moved in January. It's an, it's an 18 month period. We may have felt that like the third week of January, that suddenly there was this grief that needed to come out to be, to be released, right? With the South node and Scorpio, it's, it's that deep emotional pull that you may have been so defensive of, right? Is because it feels so vulnerable that we may have held on to it, but it, it deserves sort of to be drained. I think of sometimes that Scorpio can be a bit of a swamp, right? It's a water sign, it's ruled by Mars. And sometimes you don't know what's underneath the dark water. I always love that. I think of, um, you know, I'm from the Bayou City. So it's like, I'm familiar with just having like ditches of dark water and you're like, that's there, but what's under there, I don't know. Um, and then to have the North Node in, in Taurus, I, you know, I've wondered if, if this means that there will be, so that, you know, the North Node is um, a hungering for more and points to where we can, like our appetite and it's the dragon's head, right? Um, and so when we start having eclipses in this fixed earth sign, it, to me, it felt like there could be a promise of if we let go, if we grieve what needs to be grieved, that things will be either unearthed or that there could be some sort of economic reparations, some sort of restorative justice, I, I, you know, something made real, manifest and tactile, like that we can point to. So I, I wonder if that's the cycle that we're in now. We are, I think, all grasping at hope straws as, as much as we can. And so I, I like to ask astrologers specifically if you have any thoughts on the dawning of the age of Aquarius. I sort of turn to this, this notional idea of like the whole world changing for the better or, you know, and in a different ways of knowing and thinking when we get to this like new. So rather than point to that, um, I will I'll point to the great conjunction that happened at Zero Aquarius in um, December 2020. Basically, that's, it's, that initiated a new 200-year cycle where Jupiter, the planet of abundance and gifts, and Saturn, the planet of rules and structure, will meet in an exact aspect, a conjunction. Their conjunctions will now start to happen in air science for like the next 200 years or so. So what that means, that to me is the new era. That is the era of air. So we switched from earth to air and earth. This is about, you know, like land and land resources and mapping out territories and conflicts over land and resources. And, you know, unfortunately we had, we, we, we used our land like, it, you know, extracting resources. And now 
what's happening, the shift is, is all about data information. That's now the sort of where the power lies. Even the fact that we can speak like this. I mean, we're in the era of air. We're exchanging ideas over something called the internet or whatever. So, and, and you're my home because of that. Right. So it, this air era brings us, if we think of Jupiter and Saturn, they're also sort of like the two rulers of society, right? They set the, the guidelines for society. And so it's going to be, I think, that the structures of the old earth era felt crumbled, sort of capitalism, like that is crumbling, like we can be grateful for that. And then now happening now is that like air is sort of dissipating, there won't be one stronghold of power, but it will feel a little chaotic at times. That's what I think. I think it's going to feel a little bit like, where do we look to for leadership? And the answer and the hope that I have is that it's in our community, that the power gets decentralized and that it gets brought down into covens, into grassroots efforts, into uh, circles on a weekend and to your friends. And that is where power will start to be concentrated around as a sort of dispersion. There'll be good things and also bad things, just like we know that the world is. But I think that's the one hopeful thing with the, the grand conjunctions now happening in air science. I'll grab that straw of hope, swing on, swing on it for a little bit. That sounds great. <laughs> I just want to sort of say my bumper sticker that I'm going to like slap on myself um, that I took from this conversation that spirits bones, stars, it all has a story to tell. And I'm so excited that we've come to a, a place in our society and our lives where we're actually like giving credence to these stories. It's really exciting. Your work is so exciting. And I look so forward to hearing the stories of bones and stars and spirits that come out of your fiction and out of your research. Thank you so much. Yeah, I'm excited to live in the age where you're in my home <laughs> right here in my home so nice it's so nice listeners we're in your ears too and that is a strange kind of magic we feel really lucky to be here tucked in your ears it's quite special if you could see the smiling faces nodding they do really truly feel lucky to be here with you in your ears if you have that feeling which i know i have listening to podcasts that uh, these people that you don't actually know are beloved kin trust me we feel the same beloved kin so find us reach out to us tell us your stories be a part of this community that we are digging our roots into and find Thea and support her magical work. Thea, do you have places you want the people to find you? <laughs> sure. So my website is theanichelle.com. No, no dots in between. So that's Nichelle with the N. I, my middle name is after Nichelle Nichols, the first Black actress on Star Trek. Um, I know, it's a Trekkie. See the stars? <laughs> <laughs> and I also am on Instagram at Thea Astrology. And those are the best places. Thanks for being here. Thanks for sharing this insight, this language, your story, the story of Sugarland, Harriet's story. Thanks for being a light for those stories and finding your own ways into them so that we can know them better. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. It's, I, I'm not kidding you. This is like a dream come true. I love listening to you guys. I, oh man, I felt like I could have talked so much more about outlaws, but <laughs> whatever, it's fine. I, cause I, I love let's, that. Part. Let's, let's talk more about outlaws. You got, you got 10 more, 10 more minutes. What do you got for it? <laughs> no, I just, I just love that idea that like, that in order to do this work, that, of, of getting free from this mainframe right this, this this bullshit that we need to like break some rules and mm -hmm. that, that there has to be something inward that guides us that is not given to us by society yeah and i and i that is the that's the north star that's there but it's the north star that's in us and so yeah and sometimes that shit's really scary because you could lose your life people did you could be in prison for decades. You could, you know, like, 
torture as we were talking about before that there's and that's why sometimes in my life when I'm like scared about something or nervous honestly reflecting on the gift of strength that that minty that mama Moses had I'm just like okay yeah okay yeah she's such a great mother too because she's like I mean you know her history she didn't take no shit she was like all right, if you don't want to come die here, we're going, you know, like it was very like mama didn't fuck around, you know, she wasn't, yeah. she wasn't a coddler. She was a savior, but she was not a coddler. So that, mm-hmm. and like, I, I go to her so often. Cause I know she's just going to be like, get up, go, <laughs> <laughs> you know? And yeah, she, I, I think that's why she, she's, why she appeals to me so much is because it's well documented mm. how no bullshit how much no bullshit she was willing to take and and again like how she was she was a witch of all varieties she was an herbalist you know mm-hmm. she was a conjure woman she was a diviner mm-hmm. and when I first started looking into her work it's because somebody told me that she was a witch I didn't know I had no mm. idea that she was a witch. And then somebody was like, hey. And I was like, what? And then you get into it and it's like, yeah, she's like all of the hallmarks of being a witch are there represented. So again, like for me, like you were saying, like we were saying, like we need to be outlaws if we want to make change. When people say like, you're going Amen. against this, you're going against that. Well, yeah, because I'm trying to do something different. You know, and, and again, you. whether whether that's with your family or your friends, like you have, like you said, yeah, you have the North Star within you and mm-hmm. the North Star doesn't go by the laws of man, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Amen. That's beautiful. Yeah. You're beautiful. All right. Oh my gosh. <laughs> whole, my whole screen is beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> honored to have been part of this and to to sit at the feet sit at your feet Thea and to hear your stories it's just so wonderful Risa I I guess my uh my evangelical fundamentalist evangelical retentions are like making me feel convicted because I corrected you about my name but thank you for looking at my blog and letting me know I have not updated my name um so I'm just like oh my god I said something ugly on their part nah. <laughs> ugly it wasn't ugly it, it was, was beautiful not ugly. oh you hey, said the that's, truth. that's not my name can you yeah. imagine <laughs> can you imagine how fucking pressed down we've been that we feel bad for funny. telling someone like oh that's not my name yeah. no ugly no morning so I will talk to my therapist about it (laughs) yeah because this is again this is exactly what we're talking about we especially as women have been told that like impolite uh correction anything that's like oh actually is ugly like literally ugly Mm, this is what we've been taught and so like oh my god no that way about everybody if i'm if if risa you were here in a man's body and you were like hey karen i'd be like fuck you friend my name <laughs> right but because i love you and respect you i'm like i'm so sorry because <laughs> you know it's like now i choose who i want to feel badly that i have offended mm, if you are yeah. an old white guy i'm i will go out of my way to offend you just yeah. because that's right funny. yeah yeah yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a flip side to that, too, because like I was raised angry feminist, you know, and uh, and so I've consistently allowed women to treat me more shabbily than men mm-hmm. consistently. Mm. It's like a reverse, <laughs> you know, so that's something that I have to like, I have to just like do away with my gender essentialism and, and allow no one to treat me shabbily, regardless of their organs. See, and this is what I was saying too, like just really quickly, like I was raised, my parents were like, you can do anything. And racism is like my parents, especially. It was in the past. They never talked about all the hurt they went through. And Mm -hmm. it had a really weird, I had no context for what was happening to me most of the time. I didn't even feel like I could talk about it. And I actually realized I blocked, I like blocked a lot of memories that happened 
a couple of years ago, my brother was like, you don't remember? We couldn't go to her. I was like, what happened to that friend? He said, her parents said we couldn't go over there because we were black. Now this is like in the nineties. And I'm like, oh my God, holy shit. I, and I realized this was a dear friend. You know how those childhood friends are lived across mm-hmm. the street. And I remember too, years after you could see her peek out and like, look at us when we get into her car and like peek out. And so the, like not having context or being raised with, with good intentions, right? Like angry feminists or like we're beyond racism can still have, you still gotta unlearn like even what the fuck that is. Yes, yes. One thing I've been thinking about is like um, noticing my, 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 my reaction that I think maybe, you know, you were anticipating from me or we sort of anticipate from each other, the like, the I feel guilty for having made a mistake so now I'm angry at you Mm. thing like noticing that and you know you can call it white fragility which I think is pretty accurate or you know we can call it like sort of a a female defense when we didn't have maybe a strength so we turned to an emotional strength or whatever but just noticing that and like letting that wave pass through me and be like I just have got an opportunity to grow like I just if, if I, if I noticed some internalized racism in myself, I can't like make that about me and beat my fucking head against the wall and cry and like make that story all about how I didn't mean it. Like that's not what the story's about. Like try to be honest like that. I, I learned that from somewhere it's in the water. It's in me. If I misgendered somebody, it's not, I don't have to make that story about me. Like mm. I got your name wrong. I tried, I apologize. I'm not going to do it again. You know, like just, I don't have to be so stuck and ingrained and like holding on to the, to my pain in that moment. Like I don't really have any pain comparatively to what the other person who's taking the moment to fucking correct me has. Like <laughs> that's not real. So just I, like let it go, try to be better. I do want to add, I don't know if you listened to this interview with Christina Cleveland. She gave me, all of us, <laughs> not just me, um, this notion that her God, her black woman God is like interested in our holy mess. like thank you yes you know like I'm gonna cry (laughs) yeah you know like so you now thanks to Christina Cleveland and her you know God is a black woman I'm like fine with my mess a little bit you know like a couple inches (laughs) further into at least like being fine with my mess like we're humans and again it's like weird and hegemonic to convince ourselves that we're not allowed to make mistakes you know even with my husband we got into a little bit of a fight the other day and I was like I need to be allowed to make mistakes yes period you know like Um, mistakes are how I learn stuff honestly I'm a little bit of an experimenter you know right yeah and And that's what yeah I believe Christina that that's what God wants from us is to make holy messes you know, I'm going to listen to this at work today because <laughs> that was been, been on my radar. The book is like, anyway, quite fucking good. Spiral Thea, because like, you know, and Amy, you were talking about the inches because some like when you said inches, I was like, you know, Paula Abdul in my head, you know, the <laughs> you yeah. take one step forward, one step forward, forward I take two steps back. Yeah. yeah. And then, but the spiral, especially whenever you think about healing and grief and everything like that, like it is not healing. And I think growth, if you want to put it in that way, is not a straight line. It is a spiral that is, I think, began before we were in this plane and will continue. Um, because I think my latest, my latest understanding of God is that this, we're all part of the universe, just trying to work our shit out together. Um, yeah, I, I just, yeah. And, and back to Risa, what you said, my, my son is trans. And so he gets misgendered mostly by our family who has right. known him as she for 23 years. And now that he is 26 and he finally said to the family, he goes, don't apologize. Don't apologize to me. Don't tell me you're sorry. 
because I know you're trying. And if you tell me you're sorry, I feel the need to have to comfort you because you have, you have misgendered me. He said, so just, just if you say she, just then say he and keep Thanks. going. Like just, mm-hmm. it. and then story making about it is, yeah. is seems, yeah. To, yes. like, yeah. I had read that an, an exact piece of advice like that, that made me feel a lot better. It was like, just stop making it into a huge fucking deal. Like you, you fucked it up, fix it, keep going, stay in the moment with that person. Like mm. they, you know, they don't expect you to be perfect. They want you to try and stay there with them and care mm. about them, you know? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So I have to go do schoolwork. No, I got a pee so bad. Thank you, Thea. Thank you. Each of you and grateful for the light you put up into the world. Love you guys. We'll see you all soon. See you soon. Bye. Bye. You must be a witch. The Missing Witches podcast is brought to you by the Missing Witches Coven. Join us right now on patreon.com slash missing witches. Blessed fucking be.